church, it's a great day. It's officially spring, which means I can get my pastel dress shirts out of the closet and finally start wearing them again. Super excited about that. It's obviously a great day for other reasons as well. It's almost Easter. If you haven't registered yet, please go do that. We've got all kinds of options. We've got an outdoor option. When we're, gonna, we're actually going to rent a giant screen. So if, if you're, uh, maybe you're worshiping online, but you want to kind of be a little more connected, but you're not ready to come in the room yet, come worship outdoors with us. We're going to have a giant screen. You'll be able to see everything that's going on in here. The music will be out there. It's going to be a great time outside. We've got video venues set up in case we need overflow rooms. And, of course, we'll be here in the sanctuary. A big thank you to those of you who have registered for Saturday services or registered in advance for one of our video venues to make sure there's plenty of room on Sunday morning for our guests. We had one whole Sunday school class decide to go to a video venue all together. Thank you so much. That's going to make a lot of difference, especially this year when our sanctuary uh, can't be operating quite at full capacity yet. So thank you uh, for those of you that are making that sacrifice, being in a video venue or coming on Saturday to leave more room for those people on Sunday. But wherever you come, please register early so we can be prepared at all of our services. Also a great weekend because we had child dedication this weekend. I see some of you here today who participated in the child dedication yesterday. It was awesome. We had six families come and participate in that, all with beautiful babies everywhere. We got some pictures up here of those families. It was a great day. I'm so proud of a family that would decide there in the very beginning we're going to come together and pray for our child and commit to raising our child in the church in partnership with the church and raising our child to be a follower of Christ. So thank you, families, who made that commitment. Your kids are the next generation of the church. And that matters because what we're learning from the book of Acts is that the church matters. We, God's people, are God's plan A to accomplish what God wants to accomplish here in the world today. I'm loving this series on Acts. Every time I study the book of Acts, I, I love it because I'm re-inspired by what the church can be, what the church can accomplish. And that's what happened to me again in this series. Every week as I pour into the text, I'm reminded of who God's church is meant to be. And who we can be as God's church. This week, as we wrap up our series, narratively, we leap all the way to the end of the story. But conceptually, we actually start right where we left off last week. Last week, we looked at Acts chapter 19, and we observed two realities. The first was about you. You have nothing to offer the world that's more significant than offering them Jesus. And that's saying a lot, remember, because y'all are pretty impressive people. You've got training and degrees and expertise, but nothing you have to offer the world is more important than when you can offer the world Jesus. If you want to save the world, the thing you've got to do is introduce the world to the Savior, because the Savior is the only one who can save the world. You can't, but you can introduce the world to the Savior. And this week, I want to talk about how we do that. How do we actually live lives where we are introducing people to Jesus Christ? Where we live a life where we're actually out of the, the, the flow of our life, we're actually sharing our faith and telling people about Jesus. Because I don't know about you, but just, just hearing somebody talk about being, sharing my faith or living a more evangelistic life, it just makes me nervous. 
I get all tense inside. Like, I don't know if that's something I know how to do or want to do or am able to do. Maybe you feel that same way. I know a few of you, you're gifted evangelists, and you're like, what's wrong with you people? It's easy. Every conversation I have ends up being about Jesus. But for the rest of us, we can go months having conversations with people and never bring up Jesus. And we're like, how does that, you know, that's not what we want. It's just what happens. So, so maybe today I just want you to be inspired a little bit. I want you to get a, get a picture of what it would look like for, for you to try to save the world by introducing people to the Savior, you know. And our journey of inspiration starts at the very end of the story of the book of Acts. Paul has been arrested and put on trial in Jerusalem and has been sent off to Rome for sentencing. Acts 27 says, When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and the other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from Adramitium, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. He ends up having some adventures along the way. You can read about those adventures in chapter 27. They finally get to Rome in the middle of chapter 26. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. He's under house arrest in Rome. He tells a little bit about his time in Rome, and the text ends this way. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And that is how the book of Acts ends. Paul is in prison. The book of Acts doesn't tell you how his sentencing turns out or what exactly happens to him. But it does tell you that Paul in prison is, as far as he's concerned, the perfect time to do some evangelism. What? That's Paul's idea when he's stuck there in house arrest? Not late night meetings with his lawyer about how to get out, get free. But instead, how do I use this for evangelism? And in fact, the Bible says it wasn't even a hindrance to him, right? He proclaimed the kingdom of God. He taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Paul's in house arrest in Rome and he's like, this doesn't even slow me down. I guess we couldn't be too surprised. Paul actually has some practice evangelizing from prison. He was arrested in Philippi after he healed a young girl, and they threw him in jail, and here's what happens. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to him. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once, the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. When he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and he asked them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And then immediately he and all his household were baptized. 
Paul's been in prison before. It's always been an opportunity for evangelism. But it wasn't just prison. It was even trials. The very trial that got him sent to Rome. You can read about it in significant detail in Acts chapter 25 and 26. Paul uses this trial not to defend himself against the charges that might get him killed, but instead to tell his story, to give his testimony about the grace of Jesus. And he ends his story in this way. But God has helped me to this very day so that I can stand here and testify to small and great alike. I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer. And as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, when, when Paul starts mentioning rising from the dead, Festus, the, the local governor, interrupts Paul's defense. He says, you're out of your mind, Paul. Your great learning is driving you insane. Paul answers him, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. He, he brings another fella into the conversation, a king named Agrippa, who had understood Judaism and knew about Jesus, was there with Festus. He says, the king is familiar with these things. I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And then Agrippa says to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul replies, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but everyone who is listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. That prayer amazes me. He's on trial for his life. And his main focus is how he can share the gospel. He woke up that morning in a Jerusalem dungeon and thought to himself, now's my chance. Today's my opportunity to tell the king and anybody else who will listen all about Jesus. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. Every experience that comes upon the early church is a context where they figure out a way to share the gospel. They're arrested. What's well, a great time for evangelism? They're persecuted. Well, share your faith as you're driven out of the city. Driven out of the city? Well, plant a church wherever you go. Find some hungry people, feed them in Jesus' name. Find some sick people, heal them in Jesus' name. Get shipwrecked on your way to a missionary journey. Well, evangelize the people on whatever island you land on and be sure to evangelize the sailors while you're at it. Get beaten, tell the people who beat you all about Jesus. Get stoned to death, use your last breath to tell them that Jesus Christ forgives everyone. You see, they knew that they had nothing to offer the world more important than Jesus. 
And so every circumstance they faced, that's what they did. They knew they wanted to save the world. And the only way to save the world is to introduce the world to the Savior. And these realities that were true of that first church, they are still true today. Every relationship God gives you is the gift of a new context for evangelism. Every day you live, you never have to wonder what the day is about. This is my habit. I do this. I don't know if you do this. Kind of, it's not long after I wake up, I pull out my phone and open up my calendar to, to find out what's today going to be about. Is it going to be a, a, a light day or a hard day? A fun day or a challenging day? But what they understood is before they even looked at their calendar, they knew what that day was for. Every day they woke up knowing, and every day we could wake up knowing, today isn't about me, today is about how I can move forward God's kingdom because I am God's plan A and God doesn't have a plan B. Like that's what today is about. Have you ever known somebody who just, in every situation, they like showed up with the same thing? You know, like they, they're just so just consistent, right? You know, maybe it's every potluck, they bring the same food no matter what, you know. Or every game or every sport, they bring the same intensity. You can count on them to rage when they lose, whether they're playing Candyland or basketball. It doesn't matter. They bring the same intensity, you know. Or they bring the same criticism to every movie. Or the same complaint, no matter what happens. If anything changes, they're going to complain about it. Or it could be the other way. They bring the same wisdom to every crisis. Or they bring the same patience to every situation. Just people who are consistent like that. When I think about consistent people, I think about Jan Spencer. Some of you know Jan. Jan's awesome. She just transitioned off our staff team for a new job. But she's still here, still part of the church. She still loves us. We still love her. She's amazing. But she's that kind of person. She brings encouragement and joy to every situation. I'm going to miss her so much on Sunday mornings because for five years, almost every Sunday morning, she's been the first person I saw when I got to church because she was one of the few people that got to church before me. And it didn't matter how my day was going. If I woke up tired or worried about the sermon, when I saw Jan, she was on fire to welcome people into God's church. And it just lifted my spirits. Well, the people in the book of Acts, just regular old church folk in the book of Acts, they were consistent like that. Every situation, they knew what they brought to the table. They brought the gospel. They brought the good news that God loves us and Jesus saves us and there's hope for all of us. And this isn't the end of the story and that the end of all things is glorious and if things aren't glorious, it must not be the end. That's what they brought in every situation. And that's what I want to learn. I want to learn to be consistent like that every day to wake up knowing this is my mission field, to leave the house trusting that God is going to give me opportunities to tell about Jesus. And if that sounds too good to be true, to be consistent like the first days of the church, to share the gospel to every person, in every place, in every predicament, and in every prison, then I want to teach you a very specific and practical strategy. I was taught this strategy years ago. 
Uh, I was 19. I was at a church retreat my freshman year of college. Somebody taught us this as a way to reach our campus uh, with the gospel. And, um, and since then, over the last 20-some-odd years, um, what I've discovered is that when I submit to this discipline, it's a super easy thing. When I do it, I live as an evangelist. Uh, God opens doors by God's grace. God has cr- continually created opportunities for me to share the gospel. And when I forget it, when I ignore it, I don't share the gospel. I'm not naturally an evangelist. It doesn't come easy to me. And so if I ignore this discipline, it just, it just evaporates, you know. When I remember, I'm amazed what God does. When I forget, I don't even notice what God is doing. Uh, The discipline is rooted in in what Paul says to Agrippa. Remember, Agrippa says to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul replies, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. I've seen this discipline taught under lots of different names, and honestly, I don't even remember what they called it when I was taught it at that retreat when I was 19 all those years ago. Lately, though, I've come to call this discipline just in my own brain, for my own memory, I've started to call it pray for one and pray for everyone. It's rooted in that that verse 29 where Paul says, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening may become what I am. Paul says, this morning, King Agrippa, I prayed for you, that you would become a follower of Christ. And while praying for you, I prayed for everybody else who might be listening. The discipline is super simple. Every day, as often a day as it flits across your mind, just super Briefly, pray for the one person you most want to come know Jesus. The one person you most want to know that they can be forgiven. The one person you most want to know that they can have eternal eternal purpose through Jesus Christ. The one person you most want to have the kind of hope that we have when we know that our God is merciful and not judgmental. Pray for that one person. Let God give you a burning passion for their salvation. Let God call them to mind more often. And every time they cross your mind, pray for them again. Maybe it's a family member. Or it's a coworker. Maybe it's an old buddy from college. Or maybe you're in college and it's a new buddy at college. Maybe it's your lab partner. Or your business partner. Or your accountant, you know. Who's the one person you really want to know Jesus? And then, as God gives you a growing passion for that person, reminding you to pray for their salvation, every time you do, also pray for everyone. Just after you've prayed for them, just saying, God, everybody else too. Because everybody else you know is probably somebody's one, right? Somebody cares passionately that they might know Jesus. And then just trust that God is going to give you an opportunity to be a part of the answer to that prayer. Remember, when we talk about witnessing around here, I'm not talking about slapping people up the side of the head with a Bible, okay? 
I'm not talking about yelling people in the street corners. If you've forgotten what the Bible teaches it means to be a witness, go back to look at our YouTube channel, January 31st. We preached on witnessing, and we talked about what that means. It just means to tell your story of the faithfulness and goodness of God. Remember, I don't know everything, but what I do know is this. Jesus has forgiven me, and he'd forgive you too. Just whatever it is you do know, just tell that. That's all, right? But that's the whole discipline. Pray for one and pray for everyone. Now, a couple tricks to this, okay? Don't just pray for everyone. Unless you're one of these naturally fired up for evangelism people, if you just pray for everyone, that prayer is just too generic. And your passion will kind of grow cold. And it'll run out. And you won't really remember to pray. You've got to pray for the one the one that you really do want to know Jesus and let God use that passion to motivate you to persist in prayer and to remember to pray. On the other hand, though, don't just pray for one. Pray for one like Paul did. I pray for you and for everybody who can listen. Pray for one and everyone because you never know who God's going to use you to bear witness to. It might be that one. But it might be that God's going to use your passion for that one to broaden your focus and help you notice the doors God has already opening. Do you, do you know who your one would be? Maybe you do already. Who is it that you love so dearly? And just you would, you'd just give anything for them to know and trust Jesus? You just want it with every fiber of your being? You know who that one is? Sometimes we don't pray for our one because the heartbreak is too much to even think about it. God, God loves that broken heart. God is just as heartbroken as you are. God loves them even more than you do. God, even more than you, wants them reconciled back to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you know who your one is? Ask God, who could it be? Let your passion for the lost grow as you care more and more about their salvation. And then, add to that, praying for everyone. Trusting that everybody is somebody's one. And that God may send somebody else to share Christ's goodness with your one, but God might send you to pray to share the Christ with somebody else's one. Don't become a religious pushy jerk. You pray this prayer and you trust. You walk out the door every morning expecting God to open a door for you. And don't give up. This isn't one-time prayer. It's an everyday, as often as you think of your one, pray for one, pray for everyone. What does Paul say about Agrippa? Dude, short time or long, I am praying for you, King Agrippa, and for everybody else who will listen. I was a 35-year-old pastor long after I'd learned this discipline and long after I knew that when I kept to this discipline, God used me for evangelism, and when I forgot this discipline, I missed my opportunities. When I realized that I had fallen back into a rut, of not sharing my faith. I had stopped praying this prayer. I'd stopped praying for one. I definitely wasn't praying for everyone. I lived each day like I was God's plan M. And God had at least a dozen plans before it got to me. God had other ways, surely, of reaching the lost. But in a sermon... I was confronted with this complacency. And I went back to this prayer. It was all I knew to do. 
I just started praying for one and letting God grow my passion because of this one that I love so much and wanted so much to know Jesus. And I then prayed for everyone, building on the passion God gave me for the one. And God did what God always does. God began to rekindle my passion. I began to think of that one a lot, which meant I, every time I thought of them, I just prayed. I, I'm not saying I didn't take 20 minutes. Just every time they crossed my mind, God, please let them learn about you and everybody else as well. It was just that simple. Whenever I thought of them, I prayed for one. I prayed for everyone. And I just trusted that God would open the doors. I didn't go pass out tracks in the grocery store. I didn't bully people when I got my oil changed. But I was looking for ways to bring the gospel into the conversation. I was waking up in the morning recognizing that this day was for the gospel. Not for my day planner. Not for whatever I, my plans were. I just, remembered, I just remembered the Apostle Paul who woke up in that jail cell and said, Today is not the day I get acquitted. Today is the day I have a chance to convert the king. And that's what he went for. Ten days after I began to pray that prayer in earnest, just a short prayer, a sentence or two, but many times a day, every time I thought of my one, whenever God brought them to mind. We were, had a barbecue in our backyard with some families from my kids' preschool. I was sitting in an Adirondack chair around a circle of a dying fire, it had reached the time in the night where I was starting to do the fake yawn thing, hoping that people would pick up that they were supposed to leave because I had work the next day and they didn't figure it out. And I was right about at my breaking point, tired of the small talk, tired of pretending like I cared at all about the Ravens' playoff chances, which was all anybody wanted to talk about that night, acting like I knew who these athletes were seconds before I finally just did the thing where I was just going to stand up and start collecting dirty dishes and hope somebody got the hint. Seconds before I stood up, the guy next to me around the fire said, do you, do you think life means anything? I mean, like, you know, once you've got a house and a job, like, is there any more to it. Even I figured out that that was an opportunity to share the gospel. Even somebody as dim-witted and blind to the opportunities for evangelism as I am figured out that there was a chance. And I'm sure my answer wasn't perfect, but I told him, yeah, I do. And I told them about eternity, and I told them about Jesus. And sort of like Festus, they thought I was half crazy. But I'm just telling you, I want somebody to ask you that question. Not because your answer is going to be perfect, but because you've seen a little bit of Jesus and you can tell him what you've seen. Honestly, I want him to ask you that question in the next two weeks so you can invite him to Easter. And you can tell him what you've seen, and on Easter I'll tell him what I've seen, and together we'll tell him that there's life and purpose and hope and eternity, and life means so much more than a house and a job and paying your bills on time. I want you to leave your house every day expecting that today is your missionary day.
Today's the day. God's going to give you a chance. And I want you to be praying this prayer enough that you'll notice it. Because for every time like that, I can tell you a dozen more stories that later, after the fact, I realized God opened a door and I didn't walk through it. Because I wasn't praying this prayer. I wasn't staying connected to God and God's heart for the lost. How did the early church do it? They did it with this remarkable consistency that on the day you wake up on trial for your life, you wake up knowing, today's a good day for evangelism. Today's a day to share the gospel. I might just save the world today by introducing someone to the Savior. And if you think it'd be fun to have that kind of consistency in your life, I just want to challenge you. Pray this prayer. Short time or long. Because I think this simple prayer from the Apostle Paul is going to open you up to God's Spirit. And it's going to help you be ready when it happens. It's going to help you partner with what God is doing in the world by creating opportunities for the good news to be proclaimed. Find your one. Do you know who it is yet? Pick one. You don't have to be right. It doesn't even matter. Just pick one that you care, you love, you love, and you want them to know Jesus. Pray for one every day and as many times a day as they cross your mind. And when you pray for one, pray for everyone. Pray for the drive-through people at Bojangles or the drive-through people at McDonald's or the drive through people at Popeye's. As you can tell, I eat super healthy. You may go to other restaurants. Those are my three. Pray for the person behind the mask at the bank, not the robber, the teller, you know. Pray for one. Pray for everyone. And trust that every day you wake up, you know what that day's for. It's for the mission of God. Let me pray for you. Gracious God, awaken our hearts to love like you do. Rekindle our passion that we might see that we get to be part of the work. We get to be the ones who share the gospel and that you are opening doors if we will just have the eyes to see, God. I pray for for the many of us here today who who have let our heart for evangelism grow cold and need our passion to be rekindled, need a discipline to open our eyes. And I just pray that maybe some people would commit to this discipline right now for the long haul. Pray for one, pray for everyone, and trust that you will change our hearts by in this way. I thank you, God, for those who prayed for me and saw you faithfully answer that prayer. And now in turn, may I be part of sharing the gospel. May all of us be part in sharing the gospel with those who need to hear it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.